Greetings. I'm Isha Das, the spiritual director of the Assisi Institute in Rochester, New York, and I want to welcome you to another podcast in the series of Wrestling with God. This podcast is very near and dear to my heart. I'm going to be talking about Kriya Yoga as it was taught by Paramahansa Yogananda. It's near and dear to my heart for two reasons. It's the foundation, the philosophical foundation of the Assisi Institute and the kind of meditation that we teach. And also Kriya Yoga has been such a great blessing and gift in my life. And to help me talk about Kriya Yoga, my wife Vicki Jo is here. She's also the co-director of the Assisi Institute and my partner in crime. Over the years, people have asked us numerous questions about Kriya Yoga. She's recorded them. She's going to ask me the questions. I'll do my best to answer them. And I'm sure we will get into a stream of consciousness that I hope really clarifies and presents Kriya Yoga in a way that is understandable and also helpful and a blessing. So, you want to just start? Sure. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us. Um, I have collected, my darling, um, <laughs> about 10 or 11 questions. So okay. we'll see how we do with these. And I will start with a question that's asked a lot, and that is, the Assisi Institute mission centers on Kriya Yoga. What is Kriya Yoga and why is it relevant? All right, so let me start with the second part of the question, why it's relevant. And I want to put it in a context. Viktor Frankl, the great psychologist, he was from Germany during the Second World War. And what he said is that human beings, that we are fundamentally spiritual creatures and that life works best. We are at our best when we integrate spirituality into our lives. And I think Kriya is particularly poignant at this point in our cultural history is because people have lost faith in a lot of the institutional religions. And we've become so materialistic in the sense of science is, has all the answers and there's nothing beyond material creation. So I think people are hungry for an intelligent approach to spirituality and a kind of spirituality that really brings out the best in, in who we are and what we are as human beings. A spirituality that we can experience, a spirituality that empowers us to be our best selves and to be a blessing in the world. Uh, secondly, there is so much divisiveness in the world, politically and on every level. When Kriya Yoga was brought to the United States in 1920 by Paramahansa Yogananda, he said it's not a religion, it's a spiritual practice, a spiritual lifestyle that can be integrated into anybody's already existing spiritual or religious paradigm. But he really saw it as a way of, of seeding the consciousness of the human race with peace, with unity, of bringing different people together. So what I always say is at the Assisi Institute, for example, we have people of all kinds of backgrounds. We have obviously a lot of people who have a Christian background, a Catholic background, a Jewish background, a Hindu background, Buddhist background, and no background at all. They come together 
and they experience, uh, again, a spiritual approach, a spiritual energy that enlivens them, grounds them, and gives them a way of, of moving through the world with wisdom and grace and with love. Great. I mean, you answered the next question somewhat. Is it a religion? How is it different from a religion? How do you practice it, and, and what's the goal? Okay. Well, I want to give religion its due. When religion functions well, it does a couple of things. First of all, it brings people together in a positive way when it functions well. In fact, it's interesting. The word religion means to bring together, to bind together. And the word yoga means union or to unify. So there's a parallel between yoga and religion. And again, when religion works well, it, it, the first thing it does is it brings people together around a common vision a common vision that, again, brings out the very best in them individually and collectively. What's different about Kriya Yoga is it's not primarily dogmatically based. So it's more about going inside. And, and religion, when it's good, teaches this too. But it's more about going inside and discovering who we are. Let me say it this way. The first goal of Kriya Yoga is what Yogananda called self-realization. We have a body, but we're not our bodies. We have a personality and an egoic structure, but we're not our personality. We're not the egoic structure. We literally are, and I'll say it two or three different ways. We are the divine image. We are the spark of the divine. We are made in the divine image. And to the extent that we learn to go inside and tap into our true nature, who we really are, it increases our potential to live a good life, to live a life that's rich in meaning and in purpose. It really empowers us to be our best selves. Secondly, what Yogananda taught is that Kriya Yoga brings us into a state of conscious communion with God. Part of what I think people are looking for is how do I experience the divine? How do I tap into the energy, to the love, to the grace associated with the divine? So Kriya Yoga brings us into contact with our own souls. Secondly, by bringing us into contact with our own souls, it also ultimately brings us into contact with God. Remember what Jesus said, the kingdom of God is neither here nor there, it is within you. So Kriya Yoga is a lifestyle, it's a meditation practice that allows us to tap into our souls and that kingdom of God. And lastly, it's really an integrated path. It's not just about meditation. It's also about living an ethical life. It's about taking care of our bodies. It's about tapping into the intelligence that runs the universe and allowing that intelligence to work through us and in us and for us so that we can live our best possible lives. And secondly, so that we can be a blessing in the world. Again, we're living in very challenging times and we need more people with more light to be a light in the world. Now, again, when religion works well, it does that. 
But again, it seems like institutional religion has had a fall from grace to a lesser or greater extent. Kriya is just a pure path that, again, takes us into our own souls, into communion with God, and taps into that intelligence that runs the universe so it can support us in our journey. So I think people are looking for a contemplative way to live, and that's what you're saying, that Kriya gives us a way to live a more contemplative life. On the other hand, I think people want to know, what's it going to do for me? What's the purpose for me? All right, so let me just pick up a little bit on the contemplative life, because some people might know what that means and other people might not. Generically, generally speaking, to live a contemplative life is to, again, to live from the inside out. We are bombarded in our culture by information, by external stimulation, which really just engages the ego and engages our reactivity. When we meditate, when we live a contemplative life, we begin the day, for example, from a place of silence, from a place of stillness, where we touch our own souls, or as the Buddhists say, the face you had before you were born, and we touch the presence of God. And then we bring that silence into the world so that we're not just reacting, but we are, we are making choices that are rooted in truth, beauty, and love. Yogananda said, what you experience in meditation bring with you into activity. So let me just say a little bit about how that works. So I work for a living. I'm a psychotherapist. You're a psychotherapist. I begin my day with meditation. And so there's this, again, this interior presence, this interior silence, peace that I'm operating from. And the vast majority of time, rather than just reacting out of fear or anger or frustration or something else, you can breathe, you can hold that stillness, and then the choices that we make come from a place of peace, love, and wisdom. So that's, that's living a contemplative life. We, we take that time for meditation, silence, a degree of solitude, and then we engage the world and we engage our life from an enlightened intelligence and from love and truth, beauty, and goodness. What it does for us on a lot of levels, just on a sort of obvious level, the Kriya Yoga technique and the meditation that goes with it, it really helps our nervous system to function in an optimal way. We learn to slow down the thinking process. We learn to have some degree of control over adrenaline, over anxiety, over uh, intrusive thoughts. So it helps us to think and to operate in a clearer way. And again, it's healthy for the body. Many, many years ago, there was a Kriya Yoga yogi teacher from India, Swami Pragdananda, and he was giving a talk. And he talked about how if you practice meditation, particularly in terms of Kriya Yoga, it improves your mental capacities. And so there were about 15 or 20 of us, and he demonstrated it. We all asked him questions all at once. He didn't answer them one by one. All 15 of us asked our questions. I remember this, yeah. And they, were, they weren't all simple questions. And then one by one, he repeated our questions and answered them. And he said, that's because I meditate every day. So when we meditate and we live the whole Kriya lifestyle, 
again, we become the very best version of ourselves. And I want to take that a little deeper. You don't need me to tell you that we're living in challenging times. And we all experience the pain of that, the burden of that. Kriya Yoga does two things because it empowers us on every level, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Our capacity to move through life in, a, in an intelligent and creative way, living the lives that we were meant to live, living from our soulful depths, we increase our capacity to live a qualitative life and to be a blessing in the world. Secondly, we're all going to experience difficult times, for example, we're all going to die. What Kriya Yoga does is it creates a kind of interior strength and grounding. It's a noble life so that when trials and tribulations come to us, again, we can navigate through with intelligence and with love, but we have the strength to endure them and to go through them with grace. We were just talking earlier about how much anxiety there is in the world and you know very little ways some people take medicine some people go to psychotherapy and we're psychotherapists so I don't want them not to come to us but it sounds like and I know from experience that Kriya really helps that so let's get to the nitty-gritty okay we'll get to the nitty-gritty because people are probably wondering okay so this sounds like great thing why wouldn't I do it can you describe the meditation technique and well, you know, I will. I will. Yoga. I will do a short description, summary description of the technique and how it works. But before I do that, there are four legs to Kriya Yoga. All right. So first of all, it's what we call Raja Yoga, or the Royal Path, and so it's meditation. Meditation is the foundation stone. It's the keystone, and I'll talk about the technique in a bit. Okay. So the first leg, foundation stone, is meditation, Raja Yoga. The second one is what we call the Yoga of Wisdom, Jnana Yoga. And so by practicing Kriya Yoga, reading the scriptures associated with Kriya Yoga, then we, our capacity for wisdom and intelligence, not intelligence in a computational sense, something we, we, we learn from a book, but our capacity to understand how life works and to live our lives, to make choices not out of fear, not out of a reactive spirit, but out of intelligence and wisdom increases. The third leg is what we call karma yoga, and that's the yoga of service. Yogananda said, life is chiefly about loving God, becoming one with God, and serving others. So when we embrace the fullness of the Kriya lifestyle, it involves service. And just think about it this way. The goal is not necessarily to have a happy life. The goal is to have a rich and meaningful life. And part of what creates a rich and meaningful life is to be of service to the divine and to be of service to others. And Kriya Yoga empowers us to do that and gives us the wisdom to do that. The fourth leg fourth foundation stone of Kriya Yoga is Bhakti Yoga. And that's translated as the yoga of devotion. That's the yoga of love, ananda, bliss. So as we practice Kriya Yoga over time, 
the heart opens and we tap into this reservoir of, of divine nectar, of love. And we become more loving. We experience the bliss of love within ourselves. And then we have that love to give away. So that's the whole overall context of Kriya Yoga, those four legs, foundation stones. And particularly here at the Assisi Institute, probably more than anything else, we stress the, the bhakti, mm -hmm. the devotion, the coming to God and coming to our best selves through love. Well, and right. I can attest to that. Our relationship has gotten more loving through Kriya. Yeah, it gets better and better yeah. as we get younger. <laughs> Um, the Kriya technique, again, I can't go into it in detail right now, but it's, we all have a certain level of what's called life force that really uh, energizes the body and keeps it running. When we're healthy, there's an ample level of life force, prana, flowing through us in a balanced way. So what Kriya Yoga does is the technique, it increases, intensifies the prana, the energy, the kundalini energy that really helps our body and our minds and our emotions to function well. And then by using the breath, we learn to distribute it through our whole system, body, mind, spirit, heart. Yogananda said the average person is like a 100-watt light bulb. But he said, if you practice Kriya Yoga over time, you become a thousand watt light bulb. Uh, there's, there's a Swami. A Swami is a monk in the Kriya tradition, the yoga tradition. Swami Nirvanananda, our dear, mm -hmm. we call him our, our Italian Swami because he lives in, in Italy. But he travels all over Europe in the Western Hemisphere. He supports uh, schools for children of lepers in India. But he, when you're in his presence, it's like you're in the presence of somebody who is a thousand watt light bulb. Mm -hmm. You just feel uplifted, you feel energized. But this is the point. By practicing Kriya Yoga, we all slowly but surely increase that prana, that life force that's flowing through us. And let me take this on a deeper level, and I want to integrate this with a, a notion from Christianity specifically. So not only is there more prana that flows through us, this, this life force, there's more grace. And let me say how I describe grace. It is divine energy. And that energy has the ability to enliven us, enlighten us, open us up to all that God wants to give us. So the Kriya Yoga technique increases the flow of this prana, this life force, this kundalini, but it also opens us up to the descent of grace, this divine energy from above, the pure love of God in time and space, and then that fills us. So it, it works to bring the energy, increase the pranayama, but it also opens us up to this descent of pure grace, pure divine energy. So maybe at the end you can tell people how to get more information about this? I will do that. Good. So one of the questions that we get a lot is, or the statements is, I can't meditate. Um, and the question is, what if I have a busy mind? Can I still meditate? Well, what I tell people is that if you 
can breathe and you can think, you can meditate. People often begin meditation thinking that they have to wrestle the mind into silence. That doesn't, that doesn't work. It's like wrestling with a pig. Two things happen. You get dirty and a pig has a good time. What happens is you practice Kriya Yoga over a period of time. You learn to steady the breath. You have the busy mind, but then you have the presence of peace and stillness and silence alongside the busy mind. And over time, without trying, this peace, this stillness, this presence overshadows the busy mind, overshadows the busy mind, overshadows the busy mind. And then there are moments, and they're really beautiful moments, where the busy mind just falls away and you're just there in pure presence and pure consciousness and pure grace and pure stillness. But you don't do it by forcing it. Again, the, the Kriya Yoga practice, it introduces the stillness and the silence, which then over time will tame the mind. And I, particularly when I was younger, I was a poster child for ADD. So my point is... When if, you were younger? When I was younger, and <laughs> still a little bit there. Uh, the point, my point is, if it can work for me, it can work for anyone. Uh, so you don't have to wrestle your mind. Again, if you can breathe and you can think and open your heart, um, it will work. It can't not. So for beginning meditators, how long would you say? They have to make a commitment to this, Yeah. right? And how long per day, how often? Well, if, if you're not meditating at all, and there are some preliminary techniques that we teach. And again, I will tell you how to, how to, how to get those, how to access those. Uh, if you're not meditating at all, start out with 10 minutes a day and just learn to be present to your breath, learn to slow the breath down. It's interesting. The breath and the mind are intimately linked. So for example, when people are angry, they're breathing a lot. They're, they're not taking in a whole lot of oxygen. When people are anxious, they're breathing. The breathing is short and shallow. Just by learning to breathe in a rhythmic, soulful way. Slow breath in. Focusing up here in the third eye. Slow, steady exhalation. You'll notice without trying, everything slows down. And I always tell people just on an introductory level, if you've never meditated before, just breathe in a mantra. It could be the word Om. It could be God. It could be love. It could be Guru. It could be Christ. It could be Adonai from the Jewish tradition. And then just exhale. Just start out with that. And then as you learn some of the preliminary techniques, then you bump it up eventually to 20 minutes. And if you can be stabilized at 20 minutes, that's good. Eventually, you'll want to go beyond 20 minutes because you like the experience, you like the fruits that, it is, that, the, that the meditation is bringing about in your life. And then there'll be days, for example, on Sunday, we don't work. It's the day of rest. It's kind of in our culture. It's, it's in our genes. So I take a, a much longer time to meditate on Sunday because I can go really deeper. And then 
eventually you're going to want to go away for a silent retreat for a day or for a weekend, but just begin with 10 minutes. You work your way up to 20 minutes, you learn the preliminary techniques, then you get initiated in Kriya Yoga, you learn the Kriya Yoga techniques, and then you bump it up to 20, and then you're, again, you're going to want to extend it. Can you, you just said initiate it. Can you explain a little about what that is? Yeah. And I, again, I want to put it, though, in the context of what we talked about with Bhakti Yoga. It's the yoga of devotion. So when I sit down to meditate and I practice Kriya Yoga, my understanding, the perceptual lens that I have, is not just me sitting by myself alone trying to do everything. When somebody is initiated into Kriya Yoga, there, there's a little ceremony that goes along with it. There's a laying on of hands and a blessing. And literally what happens is it's like we are initiated into a higher state of consciousness. The gurus in the Kriya tradition, and I'll talk about that in more detail in a few minutes, but the Kriyas, the Kriya Yoga, the Kriya gurus and yogis in the Kriya tradition, they really take us on as their spiritual children, as their disciples. So that when I sit to meditate, I do the practices. Again, it's not just me, but um, there's a whole field of, of grace that I'm entering into, a dimension, an, interdimen an interdimensional field of consciousness where there are literally saints and sages and gurus that walk with me. And, and that process of attunement, of sympathetic resonance, really deepens with the initiation right. Now, I want to put this in the context. Some people may not know this. My background, your background, we were raised Catholic. And I still consider myself to be a Catholic Christian. So there's no contradiction here. One can be a practicing Jew or whatever and still practice Kriya Yoga. But part of what I brought from my Catholicism is that we always had a belief that there were saints, these disembodied uh, human beings who had reached a high state of consciousness who help us. So when I was introduced to the notion of the gurus as being with us and walking with us, um, it was like, of course that happens. So it's like my family of saints has just gotten bigger. bigger. And I'll, I'll tell a story. You and I spent, uh, Yogananda died in 1952, and all of his direct disciples who knew him in the body have passed. But you and I spent a chunk of time with Brother Ananda Moy, one of his uh, direct disciples. And Brother Ananda Moy told me this, and it was quite remarkable. He, and this was maybe around 2001. Yogananda had been dead for a long time, 50 years. And Brother Ananda Moy said that he feels closer to Yogananda now that Yogananda is out of the body than when he was in the body. And when he sits to meditate, he has a sense of Yogananda's presence and Yogananda's consciousness. And when I sit to meditate, there's often a sense of Yogananda being there. Sometimes it's St. Francis of Assisi, because mm -hmm. I'm so devoted to St. Francis of Assisi. Sometimes it's Jesus. But there's just a sense of we're not walking alone, that there are hands from the hidden realm that really come to us 
to help us once we really make that decision to go to God. Are there any other tricks of the trade, so to speak, that you would tell people? Like for me, I like to have the same place that I meditate to build up some kind of energy field. Yeah. Other things. What I, when I teach people to meditate, what I always recommend, if it's at all possible, to have a space where you live, where you meditate, that is set up just for meditation. Because you're right, physical space takes on the energy that is the dominant energy that happens there. So the place where you meditate literally becomes sacred space. And just by entering into it over a period of time, you feel a higher vibration, you feel inspired and uplifted. I also suggest that people have just a kind of altar where you have images, statues, anything that, again, inspires you. So on our altar, you know, we have Jesus, we have all the Kriya Gurus, Yogananda, we have Francis, we have the Blessed Mother, we have Ananda Moyama. And just sitting down, just getting ready to meditate, looking at their pictures, or these sacred images or icons, they're like a, they're like a portal into the divine. So same place, again, building sacred space and altar, and if at all possible, doing meditation at the same time. Now, anytime you meditate, it's good, but if you can do it at the same time, your body then naturally goes into the rhythm of meditation when you sit down to meditate. I always like to have a candle, too. A candle, yes. Or something that I feel um, allows uh, the dimensions to complement each well, other. Well, it's interesting. Let me just go esoteric for a moment. What most people don't realize, like in the Catholic Mass and the Orthodox Eucharist celebration, you have to have a candle there on the altar. And if you go to a lot of the yogic practices, the Hindu practices, there's always fire. Fire when used in a prayerful way, it really opens that doorway, makes that doorway to the heavenly realm, to the astral realms more accessible. It makes it more porous. So some people really like, yes, a candle. So as long as you're going esoterically, I'll go to the esoteric a little more. Okay. Does Kriya Yoga help us to overcome karma? You know how everyone doesn't want their good karma, they want good karma, not bad karma? Yeah, let me give a, a, a simple answer because it's a big question. Let me explain what karma is. People reduce it to, if you do something bad, you're going to be punished. It's a very superficial understanding. What I like to say is that karma is a kind of trajectory. Everybody's life unfolds according to a certain trajectory. The trajectory can be beneficial and positive and lead us in a good direction, or the trajectory can be negative and lead us down a painful path. That's kind of what karma is. It's a tendency to experience our lives our emotional lives, our physical lives, our mental lives, our external lives, according to a certain habitual compulsive pattern. Anytime we pray in a sincere way, anytime we meditate, anytime we go into the silence and the stillness, we're stepping outside of the trajectory. We're stepping outside of the compulsivity. And out of that silence, again, we tap into this wisdom the wisdom of the divine. 
we tap into grace and energy and love that allows us then to consciously change the trajectory of our life. I'll say it this way. Grace, God's grace, God's love is the only thing that really trumps karma. That's why, if I can go back to something I touched on earlier, why I think Kriya Yoga is so relevant. The world needs grace. The world needs people who know how to rise above divisiveness, all the political uh, divisiveness and anger, all the divisiveness in the world, all the, the fear and the anxiety. Kriya empowers us to transcend that karma and then we help people that are close to us, around us, we help the world in general to move in the positive direction. As we transcend karma, as we live from truth, beauty, and goodness, we begin to tilt the whole world in a better direction because we're connected energetically to the whole world. So what you're saying is that karma might be painful and seem negative, but really, there's not bad karma. Well, it's, it's a little bit of a separate question. Ultimately, there's no such thing as bad karma. There's painful karma, there's easy karma. There's suffering karma, there's loving karma. But even the suffering karma, in the long run, is going to bring us to where we need to go. So I'll use an example. Uh, I'm not a recovering alcoholic, but professionally, I used to work with recovering alcoholics. And they have the 12 steps. And particularly the first three steps are about hitting bottom. You feel the pain of your karma. You, you feel the pain of this negative trajectory. But that pain ultimately will wake you up and move you in a more enlightened way, on a more enlightened trajectory. So Kriya Yoga helps to be able to surrender and accept that? Yes. Well, Kriya Yoga will help you to look at yourself, to look at those tendencies in yourself that need uprooting, but not just through stoic willpower, but it gives you the grace, the tools, the insights, the connection with the gurus, the connection with God that will actually empower you to move your life in a different direction. So there was another question that I skipped before, but it sounds like what you're saying is um, part of doing Kriya Yoga helps us to live more intelligently, more skillfully, more consciously, and in a state of self-realization. Yeah, and again, self-realization is not celebrating the ego. Self-realization is living from the soul. I'll say it this way, you know you are living from your soul, from the self with the uppercase S, from that divine spark, because there's more peace in your life. There's an intuitive wisdom that bubbles up that guides you. Um, and you become more loving. You become a blessing to other people in your life. Again, you are living the best possible life that you can live not in a superficial way, but in a very deep and meaningful way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people will sometimes say to me after they've been practicing Kriya Yoga for a while, because I think there's an expectation that you're going to have these dramatic experiences. And, and sometimes they happen, but more often than not, they don't. And people will say, I, I don't know if it's working. 
And I'll say, well, is your life going better? Oh, yes. Are your relationships going better? Oh, yes. Do you have more peace in your life? Oh, yes. Then it's working. Yeah. The question about can I still be Catholic, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, Hindu, um, you've kind of answered. Um, but can you tell um, some stories about how people will come to us and say, I'm a better Catholic, I'm a better Hindu? Yes. Yeah, well, again, let me just go to this philosophical, spiritual, metaphysical truth. All of the world's religions began with some sort of mystical realization. And what I mean by mystical, they began with a direct experience of the divine and God. And I'll, I'll talk about God a little bit later. But they all began with this direct experience of the divine and then were guided by the wisdom that came out of this direct experience. So if you read Yogananda's descriptions of these different states of God-realization, self-realization, Christ consciousness, and you read like Teresa of Avila, the, the Catholic mystic and Carmelite, you realize they're describing the same experience using different cultural language, but they're describing the same experience because God is God everywhere, truth is truth everywhere, beauty is beauty everywhere, love is love everywhere. So often people will come to the Assisi Institute, and sometimes not, but often they'll come and say, wow, I understand my Judaism better. I understand my Hinduism better. I understand the Bhagavad Gita, which is one of the primary scriptures of, of India better. I understand Jesus better. And so often people then will find a way back into their roots and to integrate it. Uh, Again, Yogananda did not come to create a new religion. What he said was that there were saints to be awakened and not enough guides, shepherds to awaken the saints. But it was he didn't come to turn us into Hindus, etc. He came to awaken us. And Kriya Yoga is a wonderful process that is universal in application that helps to awaken us. I could talk about this forever, but we'll go on to the last question and maybe we can do something in another um, podcast that you take me through a meditation. We can do can that in the future. show people how to sit. And, I know. think that'd be perfect. But you always make until then, more work for more me. Work for you. I know. <laughs> how do I learn more about meditation and Kriya Yoga? All right, I'm going to hold that. There's okay. one, one thing I want to underscore, and I will get back to that question, and if I forget, please remind me. Okay. So let me just talk a little bit, two things. I want to read a quote from Paramahansa Yogananda in a moment. But I want to talk a little bit about God, because there's so much confusion about God. And, and the perspective that I'm talking about is the perspective of Kriya Yoga, but it's also the perspective of all the mystical traditions. Because again, at a certain point, they converge on a singular truth. So God is the word we use that points to a transcendental experience. We've all had moments, I'm sure, where we're in touch with something bigger than ourselves. We've had moments when our hearts just open wide 
and we experience a pure and profound love. We've all had experiences of the ineffable. And God is the in very imperfect word that we use to talk about this ineffable experience that ultimately can't be put into words. Think of the highest love that you have experienced, the highest beauty you have experienced, the highest goodness that you've experienced. Multiply that by infinity and you've only begun to scratch this mystery of God. So God is not a superhero in the sky, not a demigod. God is not even a supreme being. God is beingness itself. God is existence itself. And we live and move and have our being within this beingness of God, within the nest of God's beingness. And ultimately, the goal of spirituality is to connect with this ineffable God and allow this ineffable God, this ineffable light, this ineffable truth, beauty, and goodness to shine through our, our minds, our imagination, our emotions, so that we really become a bridge between heaven and earth, a bridge between the human and divine. That's really the goal of spirituality. So in that context, it's really clear. There's no such thing as a Christian God, a Jewish God, a Hindu God. If we're really talking about the very essence of the divine, it is one, and it is the basis and the inspiration behind all of the world's religions. And, and I think Kriya Yoga helps us to see that so explicitly. Yes. And in wrestling with God, yes. for me, Kriya Yoga has helped to identify just what you're saying, that God in everything and that God in me. Yes, and one of my favorite quotes from Yogananda is, he says that God is love. His plan for creation is rooted only in love. Every saint that is penetrated to the core of reality testifies that there is a divine and universal plan that is beautiful and filled with joy. So love is another word we use for God. Yogananda said that God is love. The Bible says that God is love. Yogananda's guru, Sri Yukteswar, said that love is God. So I always tell people, take your best and highest notion of God, multiply it by infinity, and you've only, only scratched the surface. The other thing is I want to read a, a quote from Yogananda and then close with a, a quote from Francis of Assisi, then I will talk about how people can plug into us, okay? Mm -hmm. And I've already kind of said this, but I just want to read it and say it because I think it summarizes something very important. Yogananda said he came to the United States. He was sent, actually he said by Jesus and by Babaji. Babaji is the, one of the gurus sort of at the head of the Kriya lineage. To reestablish God in the temples of souls through the re revival of the original teachings of God communion as propounded by Christ and Krishna is why I was sent to the West. Babaji is ever in communion with Christ. Together they send out vibrations of redemption and have planned the spiritual technique of salvation for this age. 
the work of these two fully illumined masters is to inspire, and it's very important, why I say Kriya is so relative, is to inspire nations to forsake wars, race hatreds, religious sectarianism, and the boomerang evils of materialism. That's, what, that's the essence of Kriya Yoga. And then, as you've probably gathered, we call the Assisi Institute the Assisi Institute, and it's named in honor of St. Francis. And Yogananda was actually very devoted to St. Francis. For those of you who don't know who St. Francis of Assisi is, he is a 12th century Catholic saint. And Yogananda considered him to be one of his patron saints. And Yogananda even said that he considered Francis to be one of the unofficial gurus in the lineage. And so we picked the name of Francis because, A, I've always been so devoted to Francis. My confirmation name is Francis, and your confirmation name is Claire. And Yogananda was so devoted to Francis. And Francis, even within the world, the non-Christian world, he's respected. He's seen as this universal saint. So we, we named it after Francis to be a point of unity. And there's this, this is a quote by Francis, and it really sums up the mission of the Assisi Institute. We have been called to heal wounds, to unite what has fallen apart, and to bring home those who have lost their way. That's the mission of the Assisi Institute, and that's part and parcel of Yogananda's mission, and really the mission of every person of goodwill. So let me just talk a little bit about how you can learn more about Kriya Yoga. First of all, I highly recommend that you read Yogananda's autobiography. He wrote it a few years before he died. It's a spiritual classic. I read it and I fell in love with Kriya Yoga. I fell in love with Yogananda and the whole Kriya path. So I highly recommend that. Secondly, I wrote a book called Open Wider the Door, the Intersection of Kriya Yoga and Mystical Christianity. You can get this online. You can get on Amazon and you can get Yogananda's autobiography on Amazon. This book will take you through the, the, the intricate details of Kriya lifestyle, Kriya practice. It'll give you a specific but also a wide view of the whole path of Kriya Yoga. And Yogananda's book, Autobiography, will really give you an experiential as well as a, a cognitive understanding of Kriya Yoga. He wrote that book and imbibed it with very high spiritual vibration. So that's where I recommend that you start. Both Again, both books are available on Amazon. If you scroll down, you go to our Assisi website. There's many ways that you can plug in. You don't have to live here in Rochester. So, for example, we have a Thursday night service at 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. It's on Assisi Facebook. That's a wonderful way of learning more about Kriya Yoga, learning more about the Assisi Institute. Also, if you go to our website, there's a 28-day um, video course that I put together. You, if you sign up for it, you get, four, you get 28 videos over 28 days, one each day. And each one says four to seven minutes. And I walk you through some meditation practices. It's a great preparation and introduction on a whole different level to Kriya Yoga. But again, go to our website. Many opportunities to plug in. This July, starting July 10th, it's a Monday through the Friday, we are having a Kriya Yoga retreat. It's a chance to really immerse yourself in the Kriya experience, and we'll be doing a Kriya initiation at the end of the week. I'll be leading that. 
Ryan Kruzak, who is a wonderful Kriya Yoga teacher, he will be helping to lead that. And I talked earlier about Swami Nirvanananda, our Italian Swami. He will be here helping to lead that and also leading us in his chanting. And when he, I think when he opens his mouth and chants, that the angels actually sing through him. So that's a way of learning more about Kriya Yoga. And that's in Rochester, New York, again, this July. So I'm going to end with, it. oh, one more thing. I'm going to ask you, if you like this podcast, to give it a like. If you want to uh, leave a comment, I would encourage you to do that. Send it to a friend, pass it on to a friend. That would be great. And you could subscribe to this podcast series. I would encourage you to do that. I would appreciate that. So now I'm just going to close with a prayer from Yogananda. But before I do that, let me just say thank you. It's been great you. being with you. It's been great being with you. Uh, I want you to have a good day, a good night, and a good life. And I'm going to close with this wonderful prayer from Paramahansa Yogananda. Heavenly Father, Divine Mother, Friend, Beloved God, Paramahansa Yogananda, Jesus Christ, all the Kriya Gurus, May thy love shine forever on the sanctuary of our devotion, and may we be able to awaken thy love in all hearts. Om, peace, shanti, shanti, shalom, amen. God bless you. Be well. Namaste.